Hey guys, you are listening to Killer Cocktails, where the drinks are stiff, but the bodies are stiffer. This is a casual true crime podcast where two friends get drunk and talk about gruesome murders. Each week we pick a different drink whose name or ingredients set the tone for our stories. Hey guys, you're listening to Killer Cocktails After Dark. Just (laughs) kidding, it's still daylight. (laughs) Um, Hey guys, we are Killer Cocktails, as you heard from our intro, and this is April Fool's Day. Gotcha. Yeah. (laughs) 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 Um, There's a lot of holidays falling on Mondays. Yeah, or like near Mondays. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. It's nice. So April Fool's Day, I hope you all are having good, clean fun. I love pranks. We should put this episode out on Sunday. Ooh, that's a real April Fool's, not not Tuesday or Wednesday like we like sometimes, sometimes do. Because <laughs> we're very busy ladies. Yeah, we got our day jobs, we got our side jobs, we got our side hustles, and then we got this. Um, So, it's April Fool's, so we decided to do the Pop Rocks Cosmet... Whoa. Pop Rocks Cosmopolitan. Pop Rocks Cosmo. I should have just went like that. Yeah. Pop Rocks Cosmo, guys. Um, why? How did you come across this? I thought you did. Hmm. <laughs> I think... Did I? We both were looking up April Fool's drinks. That's literally all I Googled. We probably Googled and found it at the same time. Yeah. And our intern, Kimmery, sent us over some suggestions. We have an intern, Kimmery. Yes. <laughs> a friend. <laughs> She's helping us um, get our lives in order. Get us on a strict calendar so we get yeah. media out to you on the daily. That will be exciting for you and us. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we're drinking the Pop Rocks Cosmo. It is not our favorite. It no, is I'm going to say right now, it's probably in my... We need to come up with a clever punny name for like our wall of shame. Like, oh. It'll be better than me saying wall of shame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right now, Surfer on Acid, definitely king of the castle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know that we've had a worse drink. I would put and this... And that was one that I had. Like, I... <laughs> you suggested you know, it. Yeah. Yeah. No, we should definitely get like a a shame wall. Yeah. We'll think of something. Or maybe you guys can tell us a better funny word. Yeah, you guys are clever. Send us a DM on Instagram. Um, Anywho, these are, it's essentially Cosmo with Pop Rocks around the rim instead of sugar. Yeah, So that's the trick. So yeah. So to someone who doesn't know what's going on, it looks like sugar. And you go in for a nice Cosmo with some like Snap, crackle, pop. And then your mouth is exploding. Yeah. And you don't know why. You're like, Lord Jesus, why? What have I done (laughs) to offend you? (laughs) Um, But yeah, we got this recipe off of Martha Stewart's website. I can't believe that when you told me that, that really, that threw me. Um, So what you'll need is Pop Rocks, which was so hard to find. And I now know why, because it's a trash candy. Yeah. And nobody wants to eat this. There's some things that are better left in your childhood. Yes. Like, I know better than to get a ring pop right now. <laughs> you know how ridiculous you look with a ring pop? Oh, my God. I make so much fun of you. So, <laughs> and, like, the ring pop is the funnier way to go with that one. But if we're going to, like, straight up go to my childhood, my sister liked ring pops. I was about those push pops. Do you know what I'm talking about? What's a push pop? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. I never made that tie. Yeah. No, but they were it, straight up. It was the same thing as a ring pop, but it was like a Chopstick. lipstick. Yeah. Yeah. And you go bloop. Oh, and then you just mouth all over it. It's I so like, gross. I like the fun dip. It's just like a sugar stick going into sugar. That's what we did for my thirtieth birthday. Ugh. We went. <laughs> we went to. Uh, we went to Sun Mountain Fun Center. Oh, I love that place. And we played miniature golf and arcade games and uh, go kart and, and had fun dips. We literally <gasps> like, sat on a bench and ate fun dips. And you could tell all of us were like, "It's not the same." <laughs> it was literally the same. But will you be mad if I do that for my thirtieth? I will not be mad if you I'm do that so for 30. <laughs> it was, that's the best way to turn 30 is yeah. to do something childish. I literally had that exact same birthday party as a six-year-old. <laughs> At the fun center? The only part that was missing was I also went to see Ninja Turtles 3. Oh. We didn't do that for oh. my 30th. You should have watched it in the morning, like when you first got up. You know? Relive that I would have gone birthday. OG. I wouldn't have gone. That had a whole samurai part. Mm. The original is is where it's at. There you are. All right, back to the Cosmo. Yeah. So Martha says, get yourself some Pop Rocks, which we found at the Dollar Tree. You're going to need vodka, uh, essentially triple sec, 
mm-hmm. and some fresh lime and unsweetened pomegranate juice. Um, but if you are... This hip- is what makes it a Martha Cosmo. Yes. Normally you would use... Cranberry juice. Okay. Yeah. And so, not cranberry juice, cocktail. Cranberry juice. Yeah, juice. And uh, uh, unsweetened, I believe. So. It's so hard to find not cranberry cocktail. Yes. <laughs> so hard. It was super hard to find the pomegranate juice that wasn't over like $8. Mm. But I found it. Good job. I'm thrifty. Um, okay. I'm going to tell you about the history of the Cosmo cocktail. The exact origin of the Cosmo is fuzzy, as usual, um, mostly because until the late 80s, it was a similar drink that went by a different name. In the, ni- in the late 19th century, a cocktail known as the Daisy was popular because it masked the taste of alcohol. But that one... What was the Daisy made out of? Um, it wasn't vodka because vodka wasn't hip and cool at that okay. time. Um, and I don't have the information for you. The reason I'm asking is because do we remember back to the margarita? Yeah. There was, was a popular a drink, the Daisy. Yeah, and this was, and it was a tequila version of the Daisy. Yeah, so it probably had lime, mm-hmm. some other booze, and it, it was like a, a citrus, another yeah. citrus. Yeah, in the lime, a lemon. Mm-hmm. Or, ooh, yeah. all right. So it's all the kinda... Daisy rears its head. You know what that means? We have to have a Daisy episode. Dollop a Daisy. What would you do with <laughs> yeah, the there. I was like, what? I couldn't. That's the quite end. You got the tagline. Um, okay, so another uh, origin story is that the company Ocean Spray, which was... is a co-op. Are they? They are a, they're not a consumer co-op. Yeah. They are a grower's co-op. So when you have cram, like it's a bunch of different growers growing cranberries oh. and it's all under the ocean spray label. That's rad. It's cool. Yeah. Co-ops are great. Co- join a co-op. Maybe there's one by you. They're nice. Okay. So yeah, they're a co-op, which is rad. Uh, so ocean spray, they were trying to figure out how to get adults to buy their cranberry juice. Because they had a lot of cranberry they juice. They had so many, because now they're a co-op and they're getting all these cranberries. There. So in 1968, they started printing a cocktail recipe called the Harpoon on their labels. Smart. So smart. This is back when, What's like, a harpoon? I'm going to tell you. But that's, <laughs> like, back in the day when, like, marketing was taking on its own kind of beast. Like, they yeah. were, like, making companies into, like people essentially yeah and you were, yeah that's a whole nother story which is fascinating but the harpoon consisted of vodka cranberry juice and some lime so it's a cape cotter with a little bit of lime that sounds delicious sure yeah cranberry juice and vodka oh, okay. cape cotter there you go and so it's not quite a cosmo yet because we don't have that triple sec in there but the final version of the cosmo might have been invented and became widely known because of the gay scene in the 70s cosmos yeah so we got two bartenders kind of competing for this title Mm -hmm. of inventor so we got cheryl cook was bartending in south beach in the 70s and customers kept asking her uh to make a drink that would make them look sophisticated yet was easier to drink than a traditional martini so it's got to be up so Uh that's going to give you the sophistication Mm -hmm. and everyone knows that a cranberry and vodka is the easiest thing to drink if you're not a drinker yeah, yeah, because it's all mass. Oh, it's the go-to. Yeah. That was my first alcoholic drink ever. Gross. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Cheryl creates this drink uh, using a lemon-infused vodka and triple sec and combines with lemon and cranberry juice. Oh, I bet juice. they were so popular. Mm-hmm. Until the Appletini was invented. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this was a big hit because it has that pretty pink hue to oh, it. Oh, yeah. Um, and then at the same time, you have a bartender named uh, John Kane, who was also experimenting with similar ingredients in Provincetown. And Provincetown is located near one of the main cranberry-producing regions in the U.S. I, you know how they say, like, there's, what's, I don't know, there's a term for it, but where two people are having independent mm, thoughts, mm-hmm. but they land on the same joke, the same idea. Mm-hmm. The, I, I feel like one probably didn't steal it or take it from the other i'll bet it did organically grow between the two think about the pyramids all around the world at different times <laughs> where's cho when you need him <laughs> oh where is cho um but yes yeah. guest ever <laughs> so using the juice in his cocktail would make sense because all the cranberry juice yeah. is available and when kane left provincetown for san francisco he took the drink with him where it became popular within the gay scene over Out there. there on the castro yeah. and that's your cosmo history Good Cosmo history. Jackie, you know what else is going on right now? What else is going on right now? It's April Fool's. Oh. Do you ever wonder where it came from? I Here's what I'll say. I've never thought about that. And the moment <laughs> you said that you looked up the history, yeah. I then was dying to know. <gasps> I don't know why I never questioned. Like, why is it a thing? Why is it a thing? I just got so wrapped up in either trying to trick people or trying not to be tricked because I'm incredibly gullible. <laughs> so gullible. Really? So office prank should have been towards you. Don't. Mm-mm. <laughs> no 
No. <laughs> it's why, like, wh- it's not even sporting. I'm just going to fall, f- like, yeah. it's not even worth it. You're like a fish in a barrel. Yeah, it's too easy. Okay. Um, well, I'm going to tell you the history of the April Fool's Day. History. Okay. Please do. <laughs> it's also called All Fool's Day, and it's been celebrated for centuries. Some historians speculate that April Fool's Day dates back to 1582, when France switched from the Julian calendar to the Gregorian calendar. Here's what's funny about you. Oh, fuck. <laughs> is you will ask me before we record, is this how you pronounce something? And you say it right. And then when it comes to the moment <laughs> while we record, I like hold my breath and I get excited for you. And then... <laughs> And then you watch me fall. <laughs> and then it's not what you said earlier. I'm like a kid with an ice cream cone. And I go to yeah. lick it and it, <laughs> it just plops falls off. right off. Gregorian. Gregorian. <laughs> Gregorian. Calendar. <laughs> yes. Um, I would like to mention. Yeah. I have a documented processing disorder. There and is. There is my my mix up, you guys. I'm, yeah, I'm one it's of. Not about the drinks. I'm one of you. <laughs> I'm of the people. I am human, um, and I can't talk very well. All right, so we're talking about these two calendars. They switch over to a different one, and um, people who are slow to get the news or fail to recognize that the start of the new year had moved to January first, and so people keep celebrating the the first of the year between march and april 1st like the end of march i love this already and so they became the butt of jokes and hoax because yes. they're like ah you can't read a calendar <laughs> I know, this is fun <laughs> um these pranks included having a paper fish placed on their backs and being referred to as uh i'm not going to say whatever this language is but april fish essentially and and it was said to symbolize a young, easily caught fish and a gullible person. Oh, my God. <laughs> like the original kick me sign. Yeah. Yeah. This is great. <laughs> um, historians have also linked April Fool's Day to festivals, uh, which celebra- which were celebrated in ancient Rome at the end of March and involved people dressing up in disguises. There's also speculation. I lost my place. That April Fool's Day was tied to the... The equinox, or the first day of spring, in yeah. the northern hemisphere, when Mother Nature fooled people with changing, unpredictable weather. Oh, yeah. Who knows what's going on right now? Um, and then lastly, there's a bunch of other stuff. But last one I'll read you is April Fool's Day spread throughout Britain during the 18th century. In Scotland, the tradition became a two-day event, starting with the hunting the guac, in which people were sent on phony errands. Uh, like going snipe hunting. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. And followed by um, the Tally Day, which Im- involved pranks played on people's um, derrieres, such as pinning fake tails or kick-me signs on them. So again... This is awesome! <laughs> yeah, so that's... There's a little bit more information. I got this from history.com. So, yeah. History.com. They, they had a good little article about all the all the fun stuff. That's... I like it. Yeah. I am now more educated on trickery. <laughs> all right. Murder? Murder. Murder time. I'm going to tell you. Oh, yeah. I'm really curious if you should know this name. But sometimes I'm surprised by the major people you don't know. I don't know names. I don't know street names. Okay. I don't know my address. Do you know, have you ever heard the name Phil Spector? No. Really? Really? I don't know. Give me some context. Well, I'm going to tell you all about him. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect. I just summarized it all in one sentence. (laughs) Boom. Done. Okay. Murder over. What I will say is Phil Spector is one that literally there are whole documentaries about. There are made for TV movies. There are podcast. Like if you want to know more about it, there's so much more to know about it than what I'm going to gloss over. Remember, guys, this is a casual <laughs> yeah podcast. it's casual uh we, we we're here to tickle your fancy essentially i'm really just supposed to like spark this mm-hmm. for you my friend yeah. or for you my friend listener mm. and then you look into it all right murder time because there is okay there's an hbo movie that i wish i'd like watched watched that i'm definitely going to watch um because it's al pacino oh yes uh, Phil Spector's crazy and Al Pacino's crazy. So you put those two together. Yeah. It's got to be a great movie. Bagger crazy. Yeah. So that's on HBO. If you have an HBO login, whether it's yours or someone else's. All right. 
Uh, Phil was born in the Bronx. Um, he, his dad, his dad committed suicide when he was a kid, mm. which definitely like impacted the family. Mm-hmm. Um, he has been musical his whole life. And he kind of started his musical career of sorts in 1958. Okay. Um, he was the co-founder of the Teddy Bears was the name of the group. So he like, I learned a lot about how much influence he had on like, uh, old school. Well, we'll get to it. Okay. So he had a number one hit as this like teenage young kid writing the song. So the name of the song was, uh, to know him is to love him in, 1960 he co-founded uh phil's records it was him and another dude i'm gonna guess the guy's name was phil but i don't know that to be fact yeah um and that's at the age of 21 oh wow so at the time he was the youngest uh u.s label owner at that point wow now i'll bet you got like justin bieber owning records when he's like 17 but who knows oh yeah um but at the time because he wasn't like a star like he had had a number one record but like just like what do you call it? It's not pedal to the metal, but like nose to the grindstone, just like making it happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just like in the influence of music kind of immediately. So he gets uh, uh, hooked up with this group. The Have you heard of the Ronettes? Mm-mm. So the Ronettes are like back in the days of like the Ronettes, the Chattrells, the like uh, Darlene Love. Um, it's all the like doo girl groups. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he's like recording a bunch of them. He's producing a lot of them. He's right. He's like assigning a bunch of them to his record labels. Um, over the next several years, he, he co-writes all these like major hit songs and he's like uh, signing all these people. Um, he produces records for the uh, Ronettes, the Crystals. Uh, later in his career, John Lennon, George Harrison. Wow. Um, and we'll get to like his connection with the Beatles. Okay. Uh, he often employed what was known later as uh, the Wrecking Crew. So that's uh, like an in-house band that was like backing track to a bunch of like major hits. Um, the big thing with him is so he helped write like You've Lost That Love and Feeling by the Righteous Brothers, The Long and Winding Road for the Beatles, My Sweet Lord by George Harrison. So the thing with Spectre is he was uh, strongly influenced by um, Wagner. Mm-hmm. who is a classical composer uh who uh hitler loved okay there's a lot of ties to like because there's it's a big theatrical sound mm-hmm. and that's what he was really drawn to mm-hmm. he was the son of like a jewish immigrant too so there's all this there's this like there's a great Kirby enthusiasm episode where this guy gets really mad at larry who's jewish for liking wagner but so it, it influenced like his style of music he he not even debatably, he revolutionized the sound of rock and roll and pop music yeah. um, in the before 60s and 60s, like very influential um, in this full that you can use the studio as an instrument was like never heard of before yeah. that you had guitars and drums and singers and the band was the sound and that it was that the producer is a musical entity and can have major influence over the sound of a song and a record yeah and he was really controlling and the he did not put out songs if he didn't feel anally perfect about it mm-hmm. and he didn't put out records if he didn't so sometimes it costs certain artists major songs that were huge hits because he just like put his foot down and was like no and it yeah. went to someone else and wow it was super popular um he started this relationship with um ronnie bennett i think is her last they ended up getting married at some point but he so he's like 24 he's super young she's really young she's like 20 ish um and he's married at the time she doesn't know he's married oh and he's just like wooing her and like yeah being very overbearing and like uh, not physically abusive mm-hmm. but like emotionally abusive and very controlling of her career like her like he had signed the ronettes so she's the lead singer of the ronettes they were signed to do like the dick clark tour and he makes up some reason why she can't like they got a replacement her cousin was like the replacement of like this major recording band on a tour because he didn't want her to go wow then they the ronettes open for the beatles like there's they get this they're in the same sphere as the beatles at one point Mm -hmm. 
And John Lennon really likes Ronnie. And Phil is kind of seeing this. And at the time, like nothing like more than like flirting and kissing had happened between Phil and Ronnie. Yeah. Um, but Phil's watching this take place between like John and her stayed up all night talking. Oh. And then she told you like she kind of pumped the brakes on John and was like, I really like Phil. I'm dating Phil. Um, like turn down John Lennon. Yeah. And then at some point the Beatles are flying in a private jet to America to start their first leg of Whoa. the first U.S. tour ever. Like, it's yeah. a famous, famous. It's happening, yeah. And they invite the Ronettes to fly with them. Oh, shit. Because they're in London and, like, they need, like, yeah. they get invited to go. And Phil is like, no, you guys can't go. I already bought you plane tickets. You're going on this other, like, he just, like, yeah, doesn't want them on the plane with them, pumps the brakes. And then, famously... The photos of the Beatles coming off that plane. Phil Spector's with them. Phil <gasps> took the Phil took the oh ride. oh, what a dickhole. Yeah ah um. So he's you know and again there's more all, you can all learn. the while he has a wife. He has a wife. Yeah. Uh, Ronnie eventually figures it out. She's talking to Darlene and Darlene. I love Darlene Love. Like she. She's a famous background singer that you don't really know much. Like there's a documentary Twenty Feet from Stardom that's all about backup singers. Mm-hmm. It's a great document. They won an Academy Award. Yeah. Um, she does like, there's some famous Christmas songs she's done. She ended up becoming kind of famous in her own right. But she's like friends with Ronnie and talking to Ronnie. And they're both just like young gals. And Ronnie makes some comment to her where then Darlene's like, oh, honey, he's married. Oh. And, and then, that's how she found out. And that's out? how she found out. Whoa. And how long had that been going on? A while. Like months? I don't, yeah, I don't know how okay. long. But a while. Yeah. Um, but then... Again, I'm kind of missing some of those gap years. Eventually, obviously, he divorces this other woman and he marries because she ends up being Ronnie Spector. Oh. Um, he's had a couple marriages, so that didn't last uh, forever. But anyway, so there's this whole, like, he's this huge part of the, like, huge part of the music scene. Um, and he's kind of a kook. He starts losing his hair really young, like, in his early 20s. Um, and Ronnie's like, it's no big deal. So, but he is quite sensitive about mm. it. Um so then, so he's super famous, and this is all, like, 60s and before. So in the 70s, he kind of starts becoming really reclusive, and mm -hmm. he's just kind of this, like, auteur. Is he, like, peeing in jars reclusive, or is he... Maybe. I don't okay. know. I don't think he's got, like, long nails. Okay. Total weird. Ah. Um, but so what they're saying, like, one of the most, what they kind of think spurred this is that uh, in 1974, he was seriously injured thrown through the windshield of his car <gasps> oh my in God. a car crash in Hollywood. Oh, um, Jesus. He was almost killed. So the police officer, like, when they got to him, uh, they were going to detect, or uh, what do you call it? They were going to declare him dead. Whoa. But they felt a very faint <gasps> heartbeat. Yeah. So he ends up going to UCLA Medical Center. They bring him back. But he has serious head injuries, um, several, hours of uh, several hours of surgery, 300 stitches to his face. <gasps> Um, more than 400 to the back of his head. Jesus. Uh, so then they're saying that's part of why he started. Well, like he's known for these ridiculous wigs. Mm -hmm. Oh, <laughs> if you Google him, ridiculous it's, wigs. Um, would you say his attire is flamboyant too? Or yes, is it just, he's okay. just kind of this like over the top. Yeah, and he's like this petite little guy. He's like I hate to I hate to say he's like this person because everyone's gonna have a really hard time with me. There's a like Prince, you know, Prince uh -huh. was like super petite and dressed strange. Yeah. Like that. Okay. Yeah. Totally different. Eclectic. Yeah. Yeah. But like lived in his own, in the center. on his own plane. Yeah. Um, okay. So he's just kind of live and like, he's still kind of a part of the music industry. He's still kind of not, he like resur resurfaces every so often, but he really resurfaces in 2003. Okay. Um, on February 3rd, 2003, actress Lana Clarkson, who kind of like a like a B actress. She's been in a bunch of TV shows. She, I think her first role was in, she had a one line in Fast Times at Ridgemont High, the movie. Okay. So she's just kind of been in the industry for a long time. Yeah. Um, she's found dead. Oh, no. In the foyer of his major castle mansion. Yeah. Um, in Alhambra, California. So... Her body is found slumped in a chair with a single gunshot wound to her mouth and her uh, teeth are broken and scattered all over the carpet Ugh. is how it's described. Like someone put a gun in her mouth? Yeah. Oh. Like shot, yeah, shot in the mouth. Oh. Um, Phil Spector is saying that it was, and he kept saying this, 
an accidental suicide. Uh, and I don't quite ever really know what that means. Yeah. Um, he also was quoted as saying that she kissed the gun. Okay. Um, so he's there. He was there. He was saying. there. Okay. So the emergency call comes from Spectre's home, but it wasn't made by Phil Spectre. It was made by the um, limo driver. Okay. Um, so F- Spectre was quoted. I think he heard the gunshot and then Spectre was seen coming out the back door with a gun in his hand and said to the driver, I think I've killed someone. Oh, shit. Okay. Looks kind of bad. Yeah. They never found his fingerprints on the gun. But he's holding the gun. Oh, he wiped but, it down. Yeah. Got it. Um, but there's an, a witness saying, what I about, saw him with a gun in his hand. You know, when you like fire a gun, like gunshot residue. Yeah. If you're wearing glove, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe not at the time you could test for it. Yeah. So... According to the prosecution, so he goes to trial, mm-hmm. um, Spectre had previously pulled a gun on four different women. Oh. In each case, he'd been drinking, uh-huh. and he was romantically interested in them uh, and grew angry when they turned him down. Uh, it's really hard when people tell you no, you know? Gosh. Yes. Oh, that's awful. Um, so they alleged that on each occasion, he pointed a gun uh, to prevent them from walking out. The prosecution argued that testimony of the other women was important and it demonstrated a common plan, yeah. a scheme, that there's like a pattern here with yes. him. Because um, that's that's one of those things like you want to bring this into the trial and the judge has to say that's admissible. Mm-hmm. So it was a win for them to be able to talk about that. Yeah. Um, and it was his gun uh, at the crime scene? I, I believe so. Okay. The defense, so this is his defense, they sought to prevent the women from being able to uh, provide that testimony. Um the law generally forbids the introduction of evidence showing a defendant's previous transgressions. Normally, you're not allowed to talk about stuff like that. But the judge ruled the testimony can be used to show lack of an accident or a mistake. Mm-hmm. Because they're saying it was an ac- accident or a mistake, we've got this history showing, showing pattern, that it yeah. wasn't. Um, so at the center of all of this is that there's this chauffeur who's not his normal sh- chauffeur. It was like a stand-in guy um, that on the night of the, de- uh, the, night of the death... Um, that he like he never changed his story. He's just kind of this unflappable witness. They tried to bring in like that there was a language barrier because he's Brazilian, um, but the guy's like, nope. I drove him all around. The dude got wasted, and I can mm-hmm. tell you all the drinks he had at all these places. He drank Navy Grog, which is a hundred and fifty proof tequila. Gross. Um, and he was sharing the evening with these other two gals. Um, he ended up at the House of Blues, which is where he met. So he'd never met, like Lana Clark and him or Clarkson didn't know each other. Yeah. They met at House of Blues. So oh. he's already three sheets to the wind. Yeah. Um, he comes in. I feel like she works there. So, uh, she was the guard to like this VIP area. Okay. And at first she's kind of like, this dude's weird. Mm-hmm. She, at first she thought he was a woman. Oh, oh, because, okay. Cause he's got these big giant wigs and he's yeah. petite and has yeah. this kind of flamboyant clothing. Uh, then she gets corrected by management and they go, you treat him like gold. That dude's loaded and he's a big name. Yeah. Um, so then she kind of starts being like, well, maybe he could do something. So she agrees to go back to his house for a nightcap. Oh. Um, so they go through the first trial and it ends with like a, like a mistrial or a, that he's not guilty, not, not guilty. Just now they have to have another trial. Mm -hmm. So the first one. They went, like, his defense team went to town on her character. Oh, no. Uh, which was, left people, with, like, it was in very poor taste. Yeah. And then in the second one, like, and there was a bunch of, like, physical evidence stuff that, like, mm-hmm. came up in the first one. And in the second one, um, it really all kind of fell to the wit- the witness and stuff like that. He was getting all bent out of shape because he was like, I worked with, like, Sonny Bono and Cher and the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Like, he's, like, really mad that all these famous people aren't coming to his... Mm. Like, literally no one is coming to his side. Yeah. Everyone's kind of like, oh, you're a little bit of a weirdo. Yeah. And, like, bring guns out on people. Everyone's just kind of, like, mum about it. Um, He's appealed it. Basically, he's, you know, to, to sum it all up, he was found guilty and he's in jail. Wow. That's... I mean, yeah, I mean, you see that pattern, you see that escalation, and, like, yeah. no one was telling him no. Like, it sounded like he was just kind of getting away with stuff. Yeah. Well, people were telling him no, and they just happened to get away with their lives. Yeah. And this was one instance where he's, like, super drunk, which mm-hmm. he had been in the previous ones, and just went too far. Yeah. What was your tie? Oh. Are you ready for this? No. 
we had Pop Rock's uh, Cosmos. Uh-huh. And he was a Pop Rock hey. sensation. That's cool. <laughs> I like that. I'm not mad about that. <laughs> okay. I'm going to tell you about Thomas Blood. Yeah. That's when you texted his... me that name, I was like, here we go. Here we go. All right. Um, okay. So Thomas Blood was born in County Clare in the Kingdom of Ireland in 1618. Oh, my God. I want to tally them up and see how many of yours are old as shit and how many of mine are, like, within the last 30 years. I... I, they're just so interesting, and I don't ever hear these on podcasts, yeah. so they just tickle me, and I want to be tickled. No, <laughs> no I don't want to. No, no. I am anyone who's listening. <laughs> I do not want to be tickled. You and I have more times than I would think is reasonable had conversations <laughs> about not liking tickling. Um, If y'all haven't seen the documentary Tickled. I don't want to. That's how much I don't like tickling. It's insane. But the story... uh the story is insane like it's not just about tickling it's just like the tip of the iceberg of this feather i don't like it (laughs) um all right i got through the first sentence again so back into my story thomas is the son of a successful land-owning blacksmith who's of English descent, and his grandfather is a member of parliament. Mm. Um, His family is very well respected, and they are pretty well off. And he goes to school um, in England, and at the age of 20, he marries Maria Holcroft, and they return to Ireland. And, of course, a war breaks out, Mm -hmm. like they always do. And, And Thomas returns to England to help fight in the First English Civil War in 1642. He fights with the royalist uh, forces who are led by King Charles I. As the war continues, Thomas sees that his side is going to lose. So he's like, I should go fight for the other side. Yeah. And he becomes a lieutenant in Oliver Cromwell's Roundheads. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Roundheads. Roundheads. Yep. <laughs> he is given the task of stealing royalist supplies, which is um, which is what he does. Uh, but first, he takes a portion of the supplies for himself okay. and then gives the rest to his superiors. So, so the royalists are, like, loyal to the crown. Mm-hmm. And then there's this usurpers. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> um, so we can kind of see, like, even right now, he's kind of wheeling and dealing. He doesn't have no loyalties. Yeah, he's like you're gonna. It's all win? about Thomas. <laughs> all about that cheddar. His name's Thomas, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I listened. I was like, mm. uh, in 1653, Thomas's side wins, and Cromwell awards him land grants as payment for his services, and appoints him the Justice of the Peace. Mm. But then King Charles, uh, King Charles II, takes power, and Thomas is like, "Oh snaps! I betrayed your daddy." And I got to get out of here. So he heads back to Ireland with his family. (laughs) Uh, And then King Charles II passes the Act of Settlement in 1662, which starts taking away everyone's land grants. Okay. And which means Thomas is getting screwed real hard. Okay. Because all of his land is taken away. And from what I was reading, you get kind of like a stipend, a yearly stipend for the land that you own. Okay. So he, he essentially goes bankrupt. So... Uh, Thomas starts to reunite the old roundhead military crew in order to stand up against the king. Mm. Um, and so Thomas and his buddies start hatching a plan to storm the Dublin castle. Dude. Take over the government and kidnap. Are you ready for this? James Butler, who was the first, first Duke of Ormonde and Lord Lieutenant of Ireland for ransom. <laughs> All right. So he's, he's shooting for the top. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Going to take the big boy down. Yeah. Um, but the night before the attack, their plan is stopped and Thomas escapes, uh, captured by hiding in the mountains with some of his other buddies. He eventually escapes to Holland. Unfortunately, not all of his buddies get away and some are even executed. So Thomas is super heated about all this. And he's like, I'm coming for you, James Butler, first Duke of Omerad, Lieutenant of Ireland, whatever you are. Yeah. And so Thomas is in Holland now and he's making friends. Uh, He makes friends with an Admiral de Ruter, who is also against the English. And he appoints Thomas to the Scottish Pentland Rising of 1666. During this time, Thomas also becomes friends with a wealthy man named George Villaris, who is the second Duke of Buckingham. So he's Dude. making yeah. friends in high places. Do you know what he probably refers to these as? Hmm. His Holland days. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. 
How long have you been holding that in? Like 10 seconds. <laughs> I'm proud of you. Oh. <laughs> that was good. Thank you, Jackie. <laughs> All right. So in 1670, despite his status as a wanted man, yeah. Thomas returns to England and he starts going by the name um, Aloff and he starts practicing as a doctor. This pretend doctor business. Yeah. Back in the day. And today. Just open your throat. Well, he wasn't a pretend doctor. Are you talking about doctor? <laughs> what the fuck are you referring well, like to? like ah. <laughs> yeah. Open your mouth. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Gross. I'm sorry. You know what the tongue just... I know exactly <laughs> what you mean. <laughs> mm. This is a drinking podcast. I'm sorry. Uh, <clears throat> okay, so he's practicing as a doctor in East London. Mm-hmm. He shouldn't be. He he's not a doctor. He's, no, he's not a doctor. Even back then, they were kind of doctors. Yeah, yeah. You go to school a little bit. Yeah. Um. So let's talk about James Butler. What's his face? Oh, the long, the long, name, man. yeah. So James is in England, living um, at Clarendon House, and Thomas is still all about getting back at him for killing. He's his obsessed friend. with him now. He's a, yeah, a little, a little obsessed. So Thomas starts watching James's movements, and he see- yeah, that's more than a little. <laughs> obs- he's obsessed with them. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, I'll give this to you. Yes, he's obsessed. Um, what else? There's no HBO back then. Like, what else has he got going on? <laughs> Watch Strangers. <laughs> he's getting bored being a doctor. Um, so he's watching James, and he sees that James usually gets back to his house pretty late at night, and he only has a few guards with him. So, on the night of December sixth, sixteen seventy. Thomas and some buddies attack James and they drag him out of his coach and they tie him up and they secure him onto the saddle of one of their horses. Red Dead Redemption style. Yeah. And their plan uh, was to take him through Piccadilly and hang him up at Tyburn with a note pinned to him explaining why they captured and murdered him. Old school. But one of James's servants chases after them and he successfully uh, successfully gets james off the horse dude's getting a christmas bonus <laughs> you get some money you yeah. get some money <clears throat> and thomas and, and his friends just like peace out okay yeah uh james has no the idea- fuzz is here scram james has no idea who his like captures were and who was behind the whole now thing. Now he's just freaked out. Now he's just freaked out. So he puts out an, a, re- a reward for any information mm-hmm. on the would-be assassins. So James's son, Thomas Butler, is furious about the whole attempted murder thing. So he goes to the king and is like, yo, I think the Duke of Buckingham was behind all this, which is one of Thomas's friends from the Holland days. <laughs> <laughs> it works so well. And he's like, I think he's behind the whole thing. And if my father is killed, I'm going to shoot the Duke. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, so our main man, Thomas, is keeping a low profile for the next six months, or so it seems, because during this time, he's actually coming up with a plan to steal the crown jewels. A heist. A heist? Yeah. Ah! Okay. So in April of 1671... He visits the Tower of London dressed as a parson. So kind of like a clergyman. He okay. looks nice. And he, I said person. I was like, cool costume, <laughs> He buddy. looks like a person. <laughs> a parson. Uh, and he hires a sex worker to play the part of his wife. Hmm. Um, as visitors start to leave for the night, Thomas's uh, pretend wife starts faking stomach cramps and starts making like a big show of it. Just like, oh, what was mm-hmm. me? Ah. Um, and she begs the newly appointed master of the jewel house, who is 77-year-old Talbot L. Edwards, to go get her uh, spirits for the pain. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine this old man? He's yeah. just like, oh, the jewels. That's how I imagine it. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but Talbot's room is really close to where the jewels are kept. So Talbot's wife is like, y'all just come upstairs uh, to our place and lay down and just yeah. rest and recover. And so they do. And they hang out for a little bit, and then they eventually leave, and they thank the couple. Over the next couple of days, Thomas goes back to the tower to visit Talbot and his wife, and he gives his wife four pairs of white gloves as a thank you gift. 
And uh, Thomas starts to become very close with the couple. Yeah. And even offers. Con. Yes. And even offers to have his make-believe nephew marry Talbot's daughter. Telling Talbot that his nephew, like That's the ultimate catnip in those days. <laughs> I got this relative who you can marry somebody in your family. Arranged marriage. Yeah. You're welcome. Give you three cows and a person. Um, but telling Talbot that um, his nephew, like himself, is very rich. And so the marriage would bring Talbot and his family an income of several hundred pounds. So then on May 9th. So it's only been like a month right okay. now. Uh, Thomas, fast friends. Fast friends. Very chummy. Uh, Thomas, his fake nephew, and two of his friends come over for dinner with Talbot and his wife. So they've, like, hired some fake nephew? Uh-huh. Or he might be part of his crew. Okay. Um, so they go over, and the plan is to have the fake nephew and the daughter meet, and they're having a dinner. So while they're waiting for dinner to be ready, Thomas convinces Talbot to show all of them the jewels. So they leave Talbot's home in Martin Tower, which is above the basement where the jewels are kept behind a metal grill. Okay. So we're like above. Now mm-hmm. we're, we're, they're walking down the stairs. They're going yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. It's after hours. No one else is there. <clears throat> what Talbot didn't know is that Thomas's friends were carrying fake canes and they were concealing thin swords and daggers inside canes. In, inside the canes yeah isn't that rad that's crazy <clears throat> and they also had like pistols on them yeah, too. yeah yeah but the canes okay so they enter the jewel house and one of uh thomas's posse stands guard at the door while the others go inside once inside they throw a cloak over talbot and they hit him with a mallet and they get him to the ground and they tie him up and they gag him and then they stab him to subdue him. Ooh. Not like a lethal, but just kind of like they a... they needed to. They could have just tied up the yeah. old man. <laughs> He's 77. Yeah. Poor Talbot. Um, so the men then remove the metal grill. That's like, it's like for, you know, to yeah, keep the jewels behind, behind you. Teeth. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, okay. So they're taking the bars down and they get access to the jewels. And Thomas uses a mallet to flatten St. Edward's crown. Ooh, it's like this big, you know, just like did an act of defiance. No, 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 no. He, like can carry it out to easier? carry it out because he can't hide it under his cloak. So imagine, yeah. you know, those old school thing oh, with the like body. Yeah, he mallets it down, Dang. so it's essentially flat, and he puts it in his cloak. Thomas's brother-in-law Hunt files the scepter with the cross into two pieces in order to hide it in his bag. Um. Okay, so. Then one of the other men, Pierre, uh, stuffed the stuffs the sovereign's orb down his pants. Oh, I don't know why that's funny. Okay, because well, it's orb. <laughs> He's putting an orb down his pants. Um, I swear I'm I'm an adult. Okay, all the while Talbot is struggling against his ropes and making lots of noise. Because um, they stabbed him and he's in his ropes. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's like, just like, what he's, are you doing? This yeah. is my job. Oh, he feels betrayed. Yeah, yeah. His it's... friends just tied him up. Are our children still getting married? Yeah. Or like, what's going on he with could. that? I don't know what kind of sparks were flying <laughs> earlier. Um, so there are several different versions of what happens next. But one account says that Talbot is struggling so much that some guards hear him and they come up to see what's going on. Another popular story, which I don't believe, is that Talbot's son is just wife is just magically coming home from military service and he comes upon the heist yeah wife convenient yeah wife hears all the noises and he goes up to the jewel house to see what's going on when he gets to the door wife comes across one of the guards uh, from the, the heist group and you know the the heist guy is like hey we got company we gotta like wrap this up um cuckoo cuckoo <laughs> Uh, at the same moment, Talbot gets his gag off and yells, treason, murder, the crown is stolen. <laughs> <laughs> That's believable. Yeah. Yeah. I think that part he's definitely um, yelling. So Thomas and his crew run for it and they go towards some horses that they have waiting for them near St. Catherine's Gate. Mm-hmm. But as they are running, they drop the scepter and start shooting at the guards chasing them and they wound one of them. They're running along the tower and they start yelling. Oh, this is funny. So they're running and the guards are yelling at them. And yeah. then I think they around a corner or something because then they start yelling like, oh, they went that way. Oh, we got to catch them. Here we go, guys. And they, start, trick in the they book. start running with the guards and oh they're like God. looking for themselves because oh they're God. all dressed up. <laughs> is, this, is this a movie? I don't know. I, I this is a see. great story. They're all great stories. <laughs> Stop remaking Disney movies. <laughs> for the love of God. Okay. So. Um, they get 
confused and like within the guards and then this guy uh captain beckman joins the chase and he's like no you you're the guys we're trying to chase what no 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 no. yeah um i'm on to you so thomas shoots at captain beckman but misses him and beckman actually catches thomas right now so during the chase thomas accidentally drops the crown and so that was recovered mm-hmm. uh and so was the globe and the orb although some of the stones were missing Hmm. Uh, while, be ta- while, <laughs> while being taken away, Thomas yells, It was a gallant attempt, however unsuccessful. It was for a crown! <laughs> and some of his crew members were also captured, but they were not punished. <clears throat> so, Thomas is captured, and they, they're trying to interrogate him, yeah. but all he keeps saying is, I'll answer to none but the king himself. Oh. <laughs> so he's taken to the palace in chains and brought to King Charles II, Prince Rupert, and others. King Charles then asked Thomas, What if I should give you your life? And Thomas replies, I would endeavor to deserve it, sire. Thomas also tells the king how, after seeing the jewels, that he believes that they are not worth the hundred thousand pounds that they are valued out, mm-hmm. but they are only six thousand pounds. So he's kind of like throwing insults at the king. Yeah. Thomas also reveals. Bite your tongue. <laughs> Thomas also reveals that he actually once tried to kill the king while he was bathing in uh, Thames, like that river. Yeah. But once Thomas saw the king, he decided not to kill him because he was so in awe of the majesty. So he's just a, a spinner of words. Yeah. King Charles is so tickled by his answer and his attempt to steal the jewels that he pardons Thomas. Oh, my God. He also gives Thomas land in Ireland worth 500 pounds a year, which is $115,000 per year. Being charming gets you everything. <laughs> everything. <laughs> he just spun this whole thing yeah. around. And this, this <laughs> thief that wanted to murder me is so charming. Oh, um, he's devaluing he's everything I love. Him with gifts. <laughs> Um, so he got 500 pounds per year for this plot of land in Ireland, which is crazy because Talbot's family, yeah. the man who guarded the yeah, thing yeah, with his yeah. life, was awarded less than 300 pounds. So mm. like $68,000 once by the king. Which Did was, Talbot die? No. Uh, but they never like fully paid that to Talbot and his family. Oh my God. Um, but Talbot was able to return to guarding the jewels and he... <laughs> uh... <laughs> No, that's someone else's job now. <laughs> but so he's still guarding the jewels and he would tell all the visitors about the time it was taken hostage. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm irritated. <laughs> he's old. I yeah. <laughs> Murder, treason, <laughs> the crown is stolen. Oh, my God. Um. So Thomas becomes a regular around London and he makes frequent appearances at court where he's employed to advocate uh, in the claims of suitors to the crown. In 1679, Thomas gets into a fight with his old friend, the Duke of Buckingham, Mm -hmm. because he had bad mouthed the Duke's character. So the Duke sues Thomas for 10,000 pounds. And Thomas is like, I'm not. They've got different libel laws over there. Do they? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Slander. Yeah, like different than America. Hmm. I bet even back then it was a little harsher, too. I feel like here... I don't remember which way it goes. I feel like companies... People can say that what you said hurt me Mm. and have more standing than they do in the U.S., I feel like. Okay. that's I'm talking out of my ass. I don't know. (laughs) Conviction. I like it. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so... This dude is suing Thomas. And yeah. Thomas is like, I'm not paying you. And so he gets sent to jail for a little bit. And on July of 1680, he makes bail. And he never pays the Duke. Yeah. Because um, like a month or two later in August, on August 22nd, uh, Thomas falls into a, a coma. And he dies on August 24th, just randomly. Hmm. Um, and his body is buried in the churchyard of St. Margaret's Church. But it is believed that his body was exhumed by authorities for confirmation because of his reputation. A lot of people for thought being a trickster. Uh huh. That might have. Uh, they thought he had faked, faked his, his own death. death. I would believe it. And uh, a funeral to avoid paying his debt to Buckingham. Dude. Yeah. And ever since then, no one has uh, tried to steal the jewels. 
Till now. Till no, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> there was. I told you about this. Now I'll tell our listeners because it's great. Uh, there is a wonderful story about the greatest feather hike. Oh yeah, hike heist. <laughs> hey! Yes, yes. Victory is mine. Yeah, it felt right mm. to say that word, feather heist. <laughs> I yeah, was like a feather hike. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's ultra lightweight backpacking. Dude, it's like, you'll find it. Google it. There's a really great podcast. I don't remember who did it, but it is so wonderful. That's a fascinating tale. Yeah. That's li- just, it, it. it's charming in its nerdiness. Yeah. Well, we listened to that on the way up to Portland, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like Scott had told me about it. It was good. Yeah. Well, that was my story. That is good. Wasn't good that story. Good? Yeah. Do you want to know what my tie was? What's your tie? Nothing. April Fool's. <laughs> There's no murder. <laughs> Only attempted. I was, you know, I kept being like, maybe I missed it in there. <laughs> nope. No murder. Nice job. Nice job. Thank you. Um, You guys, this has been our April Fool's episode. We hope you, we hope you didn't make these cocktails, but if you want to play a trick on someone, how yeah, about you it? Do it as, you can do it as a trick. Um, But yeah, we, had, we ended up making a different cocktail <laughs> midway through. I'm surprised these don't, this isn't like a thing that you get. On April Fool's? No, like just oh. at a bar that's just like a kitschy... Well, they probably can't find Pop Rocks. Yeah, you could Amazon some. Ugh. Imagine being a bar. Like, people would order for the novelty. No one likes it. But people, like millennial, like, we just, we love Nickelodeon and shit from our childhoods. <laughs> you know what I mean? Slime! Yeah. yeah. If you had a slime cocktail in Portland, Blah. that thing would go. <laughs> people would get that. Copyright it. It's ours. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Don't do it. It's ours. <laughs> Um, all right, you guys, it's been another week. As always, send us a little DM and we'll rate, like, subscribe. Oh, geez. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you all for listening and we'll catch you next Murder Monday. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Killer Cocktails. As always, on our talent was Jackie Andrea. Uh, be sure to check out our Instagram at Killer Cocktails Podcast or stop by our website, KillerCocktailsPodcast.com. For up-to-date information, photos, contests, and more. Our logo was created by Michelle Firm, whose amazing art can be found at michellefirmdesign.com. Our music was created by Nikolai Heidlust. And we'll be back next week on Hashtag Murder Mondays. (laughs) 